0: Julia Langbein is the author of American Mermaid, a novel. And by the way, I picked this for Zibby's Book Club, which if you are not a member of, you should join right this second, zibbysbookclub.com. And Julia will be joining us after we spend half an hour talking about her book, then she will join for Q&A, which is how I do all the book club meetings. Again, that's zibbysbookclub.com. You can join the virtual club. We meet twice a month, but you can come and go as you please. And then there are many in-person chapters sprouting up. Anyway, Julia Langbein, a sketch and stand-up comedian for many years, holds a doctorate in art history and is the author of a nonfiction book about comic art criticism. She wrote the viral comedy blog The Bruni Digest, which reviewed New York Times critic Frank Bruni's restaurant reviews every week, and she has since written about food, art, and travel for gourmet, eater, salon, Fries, and other publications. A native of Chicago, she lives outside of Paris with her family. Welcome, Julia. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to Discuss American Mermaid. I know I was just kind of raving about your book before we started, but I literally laughed out loud twice in the first like three pages out loud, not even to myself, you know, in my that's head. What I That's what I want to hear. That makes me so happy. That's all I want in life is to hear that from people. Oh my gosh. You're so funny. Wait, I wonder if it'll sound funny if I even read it. Wait, hold on. <laughs> this is so funny. This whole thing with Danielle. By the way, I went to Yale. So I lived in New Haven and went to Union League Cafe. I literally lived in the building above that restaurant. So you know, lots I, of the sites. Uh-huh. Yes. I appreciated that. Thank you. (laughs) Can I just read the soup and salad part? I know this is right in the beginning. I ordered the soup and salad combo because it was the cheapest thing on the menu. Plus, it seemed like a lot to me. Two things. But when I ordered it, Danielle said, soup and salad? You sure that's enough? It's a pee and a fart. Get something substantial. It seemed like she knew more about my real hungers than I did and that I should trust her knowledge of what would nourish me. I'm getting the cassoulet, she said. This has to get me back to New York. As if she'd be huffing it alongside the Metro North tracks on the metabolized steam of bean and duck. <laughs>
2: This is a dream dream experience. Having someone read my text back to me so hard that they can't... Like laughing so hard that they can't finish the sentence is like all I've ever wanted.
0: (laughs) It's so true. Oh my gosh. And then she talks about... I won't read that much more, I promise. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Tonight we met at Danielle's stucco castle in Silver Lake. While she got ready, she gave me a goblet of Chardonnay and put me in front of a reality TV show about a 500-pound teenager who gets gastric bypass surgery. Laparoscopic camera tunneled through soft flows of yellow fat searching for the teen stomach. Danielle zapped off the TV on a shot of his body, naked, looking like the cushions of a beige leather sofa piled on a metal table. I've seen this one, said Danielle. He ends up hot. Her eyebrows danced up and down for a moment, and we laughed together. You should track him down, I said, rolling with her suggestiveness. They did a reunion show. He's dead. Pop the wine in the fridge. Let's scoot. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you're so funny. <laughs> you're so Yeah, you I'm so happy that you're willing to let yourself laugh and enjoy it because I feel like I don't know sometimes people get a book that's really funny in their hands and they're like, What's wrong? You know, why like this shouldn't be so funny? What's wrong with me? You know, like or that because there's also like profoundness and depth and like ideas in there that like that's somehow incompatible with with it being hilarious, but actually for me, my favorite writers are the ones that give you something hilarious and then you laugh your way to something yes. meaningful and something true. And like, you know, but the comedy is like so part of it. And I've, I feel like some people that I've, you know, gave early copies to or whatever were like, yeah, no, this is great. It's just like, I'm not sure why it's so funny. And it's like, just
0: relax. I'm <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> It's okay. You can just, it can just be funny. It's okay. No, it's great to be funny. It's not just funny, but it happens to be really funny and clever. And it's, almost, you know, Catherine Newman's book, it's like so funny, but it's really about hospice. Exactly. Yeah. There's humor in, in I don't know. I think anything funny is fabulous, but. Um, Absolutely. But Agreed. you're so creative too with how you wrote the book. So the book is about a woman who writes a, a novel and then it gets sold as a screenplay essentially that she writes. But then in the no, in your novel, then you have her excerpts of her novel. It's so cool. Yeah, you get to experience the novel and the adaptation. yeah. And I'm so glad because I often feel like when there's books about now, I'm always like, oh, you should like go write that novel And people are like, haha, yeah, that'd be funny. And then like you did it. There it is. It's so great. <laughs> well
2: the thing is so, the, so you have this woman, Penelope right, who, who she's a high school English teacher and she wrote a novel. But what you don't learn is how the novel reflects, you know, her past or past experiences. It has nothing to do with her past. She writes a novel and then that novel that she wrote kind of explodes her into the future and explodes the future. And I really like that idea that books, not that they just like reflect their author's biographies or their author's past, but they are these things that we launch into the future and we can change our own lives with them and we can change other people's lives with them. And that's what's so fun about flipping between the made up and the real, if you will, in this, in this book.
0: So cool. Maybe you should give it a, maybe I should ask like, what's your book about? So (laughs) I'm so bad at that. It's so hard. It's, 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 so there's
2: a woman who wrote, she's a high school English teacher and she wrote a novel called American Mermaid. And when the book starts, you know, it's just been a surprise hit and she's been offered the chance to go out to Hollywood to work with these two male hacks, these two male screenwriters <laughs> to turn the book into a screenplay. And it follows her Wait, adventures. You described the court. guys
0: in such a funny way. Like, <laughs> what did you say? Like they have buns of steel from like, you know, some workout. You're so much, fun. I can't even remember. But the way you describe these two guys, like the twins who, uh, the, who gossip like 16 year old girls or something. Like yeah. That. They're like two teenage girl, best friends. They spent yes. all their time together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. They
2: have so- butts made of core 10 shipbuilding steel. I think yes. I yes. <laughs> that was so
0: great. Oh my gosh. You're so, I love it. I'm sorry. I, I cut you off. Okay. Keep time. talking about the book. No,
2: please. So anyway, yeah. So she's out there in LA and it's sort of a fish out of water story. So she's this really crunchy, like kind of liberal New is out in LA and like everything she says accidentally sounds bitchy. <laughs> she's <laughs> like, there's like a kind of tonal disconnect in LA. But also she really grapples with ideas of like representation and the self and how to kind of hold on to yourself, but also get a foothold in a world of total economic precarity. And as an English, you know, she really wants to just be an English teacher, but it is financially precarious. And so there's a dream of being a quote creative and getting a big paycheck out there. And the question is sort of, what are you will, how much of yourself are you willing to sell to have that kind of
0: stability and to, you know, to feel like you've made it? Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> she's, she's so funny about um you know, like when she's like standing in the aisle debating which shampoo to get at CVS. Oh, you, like you have all these, my life. The, <laughs> and then also, and this I feel like it's not a spoiler since it's early on, but you know, she finds out early on that she's a carrier of the BRCA one gene and needs yeah. to have the surgery. And you even say it in a funny way, like like that somehow having to have elective mastectomy and then reconstruction to have the body parts you were born with is somehow like a privileged act of narcissism.
2: Yeah, right, exactly. Like, just to be your normal self, you've acted like a like some kind of snob or something. Yeah. yeah, and that that just adds to her financial pressures, like the fact that you know she's in order to just take care of herself. And you know, like for so many of us, like basic kind of like one of the freakiest things about economic precarity is like health care and you know that you know the ability to kind of make sure things are going to be okay. So, that's another detonation that sends her leaving this job that she loves out to LA. And so, I used to teach like not in high school, but at the university level. And, um, I stopped teaching for a while just cause I had a research fellowship. And I think a lot of the energy of this book came from like missing teaching actually and missing being around, you know, people in these formative years, you know, people in a state of becoming who are, who are like insurrectionist and a little bit, you know, I, I think in that book, I talk about how her students, they never got anyone's name right. Like they never knew anybody. <laughs> when they read literature, they read like a book by Edith Wharton and they they just like can't get anyone's name right. But they immediately go to the deepest levels. They fully understand the emotional realities of the books that they read. And I just, had of all these memories of teaching these, you know, undergraduate people who are 18, 19... Uh, you know, I was teaching art history. So we'd be looking at really complicated images or whatever. And they didn't know what, they didn't really care whether it was a painting or a photograph. They'd be like this photograph by Rembrandt, you know, you're like, (laughs) it's it's not a photograph. But they get it, but they would get really important things at the same time. So uh, yeah, there's something about the way in a classroom setting, you get to know like the true, the way that young minds are both confused and more right about the biggest things than we even can admit, you know?
0: Oh, my gosh. I also love her relationship with her dad and how he is enabling her to live. And she kind of – she doesn't want that, but she needs that. And she's uh, (laughs) – You have the whole podcast. I don't know, like, where she is talking all about her dad, and she doesn't even realize it because she was kind of drunk on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All upset, but it is a really interesting dynamic, which of course is happening in families all over the place. When her, you know, her sister has to call and be like, "It's okay. Like, he's not evil. He's a Republican. It's, it's, you know, he's not like a dictator. And (laughs) you know, we went to private school, and it's okay. Like, you're alive, and like, stop it." Yeah. Why are you so mad? Why are you so mad at our parents all the time? Yeah. Like they yeah. raised us
2: like relax. But you know, that's like, I think a huge part of this book is, and something I'm I'm, I'm interested in generally is like intergenerational conflict, Yes. Um, which is such a huge part of, of the way we live right now. There's so much anger at like our parents who were, you know, I remember, I, mean, I don't want to call my dad out, but like he definitely was like not into quote tree huggers. And now I'm like, you guys, you literally ruined everything <laughs> like because you thought like being a tree hugger was like not worth your vote you know like so I mean there's a there's a lot of economic anger obviously about like the economy and stuff like that I mean a lot of uh, intergenerational anger about you, you know the way the whole idea that COVID was ever called a boomer remover right like these like horrible guys, right there's still actually so much vitriol so yeah, I mean, I, I kind of wanted to deal a little bit with both the like irrational love and support that can happen intergenerationally, like the way that these teenagers just come out of the woodwork and go to bat for for this woman who's like half a generation older, but also the way that kind of like we can are allowed to feel like insane rage for the people
0: that we love and who love us, you know? I'd love the idea of this being so meta that now you're going to say something bad about your dad on this show. <laughs>
2: Jesus You know what I mean, and now he's gonna get that. <laughs> No, I know. Why do you think I'm drinking sparkling water and not a margarita? <laughs> gotta keep this in check. Save the margarita for the therapist. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Yeah, I know. I need to do one of those like pharmaceutical disclaimers about how I love uh, everyone in my family and they're all perfect. Anyway, uh...
0: <laughs> oh, we'll put in the show notes. Oh there you god. go. So back up to your life now for a second. Tell me like where you came from and how you started this, like your whole career and how we got to here and why do you live in Paris? And I just want to know. I know it's very confusing. There's so many things that don't actually make sense. So yeah, I mean, in a very, some
2: Elizabeth Gilbert's blurb pointed this out, that the, the book itself is like a mermaid. It's two halves, right? Yep. That are like stitched together. I, I literally didn't realize that until after it was published. I guess. But I I like anyway, and I feel like that's very true of me too. So I've done a lot of comedy, um, stand up, sketch, improv, running around doing make believe with hilarious people. And then also I bailed out of that at some point when things were, were actually going quite well because I just like had this. Leftover. I literally just had like all these questions about mayonnaise. <laughs> like, I was working in New York and doing comedy, and and I got into into a PhD program at the University Chicago. And I I kind of thought, well, there's comedy in Chicago. I'll go to Chicago because I can still do comedy. But you know, once I started my PhD, my my comedy agent was like, the, everyone's dream is to like do just like be an actor, you know, or, or to, like be a comic actor or performer, and like you 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 want to actually go to grad school half like at the same time. No, he's like I'm never taking your calls again. I <laughs> go jump off a cliff. <laughs> so I just threw myself into this PhD program and and became a very, you know, that's a very serious world and I wrote an academic book all about the history of of actually comic art criticism. So art critics who did their who whose whose criticism was caricature, like made fun of art and understood it through comedy. So like there was still always an interest in this kind of thinking and and a way that I've I've always believed that like when you, when you laugh and when you when things are comic, it's not leaving intelligence behind. It's a form of intelligence. Um, and that runs through my academic work and, and the novel. But anyway, so I did this PhD and then I went off to Oxford for my first job after my PhD, which was a research fellowship. And I just like got the bug again and started doing comedy again. And I started doing improv and uh, I was having so much fun with it. Like just laughing till my whole body hurt, just having the best time. <laughs> Um, and like, I'm a huge proponent of play, of just playing. And that's what improv is. It's play. And then I got too pregnant and I couldn't be in bars anymore, baffing <laughs> around. So I, <laughs> literally, I was, literally, I was like weeks away from giving birth and everyone was like, this is, you're uncomfortable to be on stage with. Can you leave? <laughs> so I basically started doing improv alone at my computer with the novel. That's what it was. It was you know, it's very dialogical. The novel is a lot of, you know, a lot of scenes of people having conversations. That's me doing improv basically with myself, just playing both roles. And even this whole structure of the novel within the novel, it didn't come from like literary models. It came from an improv game. You know, this thing called the Herald, which allows you to stretch a story out for a long time by returning over and over again to the same scenes. Yeah, the whole form really came out of comedy and like game playing and fun. But so that's, yeah, that's how I ended up writing a novel was just like, being kind of torn between these two worlds. So it makes sense that it's, you know, a book about a hybrid creature.
0: You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price.
2: So my specialty as as an art historian was 19th century France. So it always made sense that to come. And then my my husband got a job opportunity here. So it made sense for us both professionally. And now it's actually kind of a strangely excellent place to be writing in English because I'm so isolated. Like I don't spend any English. Like I save all my English. (laughs) (laughs) Like I don't talk to anyone in English until I go up to my attic and write. And I feel like very fresh when I start to start to write. So it's actually been kind of lovely. I don't know. Maybe I'll go crazy and feel too isolated and have to, have to get some Anglophone, I don't know, vibes at some point, but right now it's kind of heaven. It's kind of great.
0: That's awesome. I've been like slowly putting together this little group of authors who have been on my podcast who live in Paris and like every time I do author, I interview, I like put them on, (laughs) I don't know. They've all been like meeting up. It's really fun. So I'm going to like add you to their little list.
2: Oh my God, do. Yeah, yeah, I definitely need friends. If I if I stay this isolated for much longer, I am going to get weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but they're I'm all different types weird. of
2: authors, you know, but you all write great I, know, books, I really so. miss, I grew up on, you know, I grew up in New Haven. I grew up on university campuses. I, then I was at, you know, grad school, whatever. And I do miss being around people who like kind of live and breathe writing, you know, ideas. I mean, that sounds snotty, not ideas, but just like, I don't know, maybe dorks, just people with a, people with a specialty too. That was a real thing in the university world is like this idea that people don't really talk about something unless they've, or if they have an opinion about something, they've often read everything there is to say about it, you know? So they know that what they're saying is the, is the truth. And then you get out into the w- real world and you're like, wait a minute, everyone just has some like half-baked opinion. What's this? <laughs> like so I don't know. I kind of, at some point, maybe I feel like I'll have to come in from the cold and get back in the world of teaching or something. But for now, I'll just hang out at cafes with your acquaintances. That Perfect. sounds great. <laughs>
0: Amazing. And are you going to write another, are you writing another novel now? I am writing another novel.
2: Yeah. I'm like halfway through with this other novel and, it's a little bit different in that it's not maybe as like slapsticky funny, but I'm just trusting like when I was undergrad, I did a, a playwriting class and I used to write stuff I thought was really serious. And every like, you know, I was like, here's my one act about a literary magazine. And people like laughed so hard at <laughs> so like what I'd written. So I'm going to just hope that even though my North Star with like every choice isn't what's going to make everyone laugh, it's still got like funny bones in it. So we'll see.
0: I know I try to, uh, I really like humor and uh, I tried to, not that I'm like super funny, but I don't know. I really appreciate <laughs> it so much. And like, like you, like if I'm writing something that makes me crack up, like that's like the best day, you know? Oh, totally. Then if I, if I find a writer, if I find a writer
2: who can make me laugh, they go in like a special box of just like, I'll read, I'll find everything you've done. I'll support every, like, I <laughs> like, thank, like, thank you. You know what I mean? I, I'm i so so into uh, funny writers and like in all of them.
0: I tried to write like a literary prose poem. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> it actually probably would be now if I like ju- judged that, but I, I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. Like, this is how it's going to be. Like, I'm not going to have quote marks and I'm going to like, you know, <laughs> but of course it doesn't work. You know, like only, only people who really feel and write that way can write that way. I can't just like... I don't know. I think it's all about like finding your voice, which, like, obviously you have. And it's so great. And it's like everything about this is so creative that it's just like circles and circles of creativity, like, swirling around. I'm so glad you felt that way and had fun in my circles. <laughs> yes, I had fun in your circles. I had fun in your circles. What do you like to read? Who are authors who do make you laugh? Well, so I mean, I
2: feel like the writer that made me go, wait a minute, like, this is something I want to try to do is Evelyn Waugh. And and even like just, I think back to like something like vile bodies which is a book that is a string of parties. You know, there's so many parties in American Marine, right? <laughs> I love writing parties. I love, I love parties. If there's anybody who wants to invite me to a party, I'll go. <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually a meditation on the consequences of war, like right? I, which you only really understand at the end. These like jerk-offs, like running around, losing each other, losing their money and losing... You know, it's it's actually about the kind of, I don't know, like many, like multidimensional consequences of this war and, uh, and of their participation in it. And so early on, I knew with him that something was going, on where I was dying laughing and putting the book down, but I was also really getting to things like, you know, getting to an understanding of history and again of intergenerational relations and of just really profound truths about being a person in the world. And so, so like Patrick Melrose, uh, sorry, the Patrick Melrose novel. So Edward Saint Aubin, who's uh, I'm reading his n- new one right now, which is like a very like it's a satire of. Literary awards, which oh. I don't know, it's really funny. That. But okay. but the Patrick Melrose novels are so, so cutting and deep, and they're about a horrible, like toxic family event, but they make you laugh so hard. And so like uh, Patricia Lockwood, I think, is like out of this world, like next level funny. I mean, it's talk about like hilarious poetry. I even like went <laughs> back and dug into her poems, and I'm I'm there for all of it. Um, and her nonfiction is absolutely hilarious. Her essay in the LRB on John Updike is like chef's kiss, like hilarious. Uh, oh yeah. I was just reading a book early. She was actually published in one like 1980s, but this is one that your listeners might not know. She's really well known in Ireland. Her name is Molly Keane, K-E-A-N-E. And there was like an Irish times roundup of the fun who were like the funniest authors were. Um, they asked all these writers and like everyone name dropped her and I'd never heard of her. So I'm um, a couple of I'm a couple chapters in it's funny. it's also very dark and there's a lot of stuff about Catholicism surprise oh. but <laughs> okay. but but it's great. It's like yeah, I mean whatever' I'm, I'll follow I'll follow whatever leads anyone has for for comic authors.
0: Have you read uh, Nora goes off script by Annette Bell Moynihan? No, I haven't. okay, you have to read that. It won't take long no, and it, it but she has that same smart funny thing going. It's Awesome. And that goes off script. Sounds good. Nora goes off script. It's really funny. And the (laughs) Catherine Newman book too. I feel like you would maybe like those too. So start on those. Let me know what you think. (laughs) Excellent. If I'm on the right track. (laughs) So in terms of your process and all of that, do you just like sit there and think what's funny or or like, did you divide your time with like, today I'm going to work on the novel in the novel and today I'm going to do a dialogue scene or... How did it kind No, of I think go? that,
2: so actually a lot of it started, I started writing it when I was writing my academic book, which was like, so I'd be writing this stuff that had to be like intensely footnoted and argued and, you know, every inch of it had to be so hard fought. And then I would just, instead of, especially when you're working in archives, like when you're doing research to get into the bibliotech nationale you have to like, it's this insane process and you have to like check everything and swipe a card and like, you'll never get out. You'll never get back in if you get out. So to take a mental break from that kind of writing, I just switch over to another document and go like stretch my legs in in the novel. So when I was working on those two books at the same time, weirdly those two books are like they're like twins in we were in utero, you know. Um they kind of they kind of like fed each other, maybe fought for resources. It's a better way of putting it. So and then once I've finished the academic book, I just like I think having had the experience of doing academic writing and knowing how hard it is, I'm just like so grateful for the blank bloody page you know what i mean i'm just like so happy to like go frolic and so i've i've never like even this next one that i'm writing i want to jinx myself but like yeah i don't know it's just like i I, I, i've just been going really fast because i'm like there's no one here to tell me i can't say that or whatever i mean then it goes to readers and i get feedback and i get told i shouldn't say that or whatever but i think once you've had the it's like forrest gump with those braces on his legs you know (laughs) like This is the first and last time. I've never compared myself to Forrest Gump before. I don't think I'll do it again. But I just had the image of like the little braces flying off his super strong legs because you've just, you know, you've been like trained so hard to do this thing that's like so much rigor.
0: Speaking of utero, so you mentioned when you were too pregnant to keep partying. How, I'm assuming a child came after that. Oh yeah. There are two of them. How has motherhood, you know, factored into your career and your writing and all of that? crazy. And I think about the title of your podcast and like, it's so
2: funny how they are such a time suck, obviously. Like I have to go pick them up in a minute (laughs) and like swiftly deposit them with a child care professional and go out to dinner. Thank you (laughs) (laughs) for once. But no, the started writing this book like right before I had my child. And then I wrote it while I was, you know, raising a small child. And I guess I don't, I'm fully not fully in control of how that happened. I don't know why there's definitely something about having kids that makes you take your spare time really seriously and like, you know, like do what you need to do for yourself in that time. And I, I do like all the time. I'm like, you guys are fine playing with string. I'm going to go right for a minute. Like whatever, you're fine. I'm eating Play-Doh. I'm going to go right. But also I think a lot of the questions in this book about personhood and about, you know, how you're seen in the world and who you are and who you want to be and like gender, these issues of gender and genderedness and how women are represented you know, I have two girls. You know those those questions became really important and loud to me once I had these kids. So yeah, I mean having kids is an impediment and I'm lucky I've had um, good childcare and also I live in Europe and there's like a lot of support, wow. but but it didn't ruin my creative life. It like completely made it possible and deeper and and better. So yeah, god Thank you. (laughs) You little, you little monsters, (laughs) you selfish little twerps. Thank you. (laughs) That can be your next dedication, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: You made me so insane with sleep deprivation that it really, uh, really sent my creativity into interesting
0: places. Thank you. you, (laughs) Selfish little twerps. Yeah. That's, that a little yeah. Did I say that? that?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Maybe I did have a margarita, but you did, but awesome. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <Zima>. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. This has been so fun. American mermaid. So awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited thank for this to come out. Thank you for reading it. Thank you for laughing. Yeah. Love it. I'll read anything you write. Such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. You, okay, too. you too. Have a great day.